Be right back. Blog Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to NJSBA's Blog Talk Radio Show, Conversations on New Jersey Education, a show dedicated to creating a conversation among those of, of us in education and, and beyond on the important education issues of the day, a conversation that brings the state leaders to you, and I hope that you all feel free to join in on the conversation. My name is Ray Pinney, and I'll be your host for this morning. Uh, a couple of ground rules. First, we will not be using the chat room feature of the show today, which we haven't yet. Uh, but if you are interested in calling in, a few things you should know. You call in, dial 1-347-989-8904. 1-347-989-8904. And when you're ready to make a comment or ask a question, press 1. And that will indicate in our, on my switchboard that you're ready to ask a question. I have someone who will be screening the callers. Her name is Christy, so that I can get the name and the topic or the question that you have. Also, if you are on the phone line, I will ask that you turn down the volume on your computer and only listen on the phone since there will be a delay and it's a bit confusing. Finally, I will not be taking callers right away, but will in about 10 minutes or so, so be patient. In public education, there's a movement that's going on called the Education Reform Movement. It centers on changing the way we deliver public education. It also centers around concepts such as school choice, charter schools, the way we compensate and evaluate teachers, who leads our school districts, and is centered on improving academic achievement, particularly in our urban areas. This movement is taking hold in New Jersey, and it brings together Republicans like Governor Chris Christie and Democrat Cory Booker, the mayor of New Jersey's largest city, Newark. In Newark, we see a lot of the issues being played out as the city tries to improve its school district and close the achievement gap. We have seen the mayor and governor work together to get a $100 million donation from Facebook founder Mark Zuckerberg and hire a new superintendent, as well as increase the number of charter schools opening in the city, all within one year. On today's show, we are fortunate to have with us Shavar Jeffries from the Newark Advisory Board. Shavar was president of the board last year when most of the initiatives started, and in his short time on the board, he has made an impact on the education scene in Newark. So I'd like to welcome you, Shavar. Hi, very happy to be here. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Um, before we get into some of the issues of the education reform movement, uh, Shavar, I think a lot of our members are board members in other districts, uh, and you're an advisory board. Uh, could you tell us what the, the difference is as the advisory board as opposed to that of uh, other school board members? Well, you know, the state took over the Newark uh, Public Schools back in 1995, and um, some uh, several years ago, the state, as a part of uh, beginning the process to transition the district back to local control, um, uh, created an opportunity for the people of Newark to elect school board members and to have uh, a board that would work with the superintendent, work with the state to make sure every kid receives the kind of education kids deserve, and uh, and also to, to begin the process for transitioning back to local control. So what that means is we function we, we we function as a as a as a as a legally empowered school board. You know we vote on all sorts of matters, including uh, you know financial, regulatory, legal, personnel, curricular matters. Uh, but ultimately, the the state superintendent uh, you know can veto um, any vote or veto any decision um, that the the board makes. 
Um, so we're advisory in that respect. We don't have the legal authority to uh, simply implement what it is that the board working with the superintendent thinks should happen. The superintendent and ultimately the commissioner for the State Department of Education uh, can supersede uh, you know, any particular perspective that the board may have. Now, I have attended some community events, and I've read the news accounts. Um, and since you really don't have a governing function, it's more advisory, as I said before, uh, it seems to me that uh, from the community's perspective, there's a lack of community input uh, for some of the education decisions because they really do come from the state or the superintendent. Uh, am I correct in that assessment that the community would probably like to have a little bit more control of their education system? Well, I think you're right that the community definitely would, would prefer local control, and so would I. You know, I think ultimately that parents should be able to elect the representatives that make the decisions that, that affect uh, their children. So I, I definitely believe in local control, and I think 16 years is entirely too long. And we're kind of in an indefinite place where it's not clear when local control will will return to the people. Um, so I do think local control is very important. I think we need to reform our district, and I do regard myself as a strong supporter of many of the education reforms that the president uh, and others, you know, support. But but I think those reforms need to be rooted in the local community, and we have to create a context locally that'll that'll support and drive these reforms. But but there's no question that that the people prefer local control. I prefer local control. Um, it's kind of anti-democratic to have folks in Trenton who aren't. Uh, accountable to the people of Newark to be making decisions about that affect the children uh, of Newark. So um, uh, I do think, though, we as a board work very hard, you know, to get as much community feedback as possible, and then we work very hard to uh, to present our views on behalf of those that we uh, represent uh, to the state and to the superintendent. And um, you know, and, and it and it. And it uh, for a long time, it's been a more collaborative approach. You know, with our new superintendent coming in, it remains to be seen how she uh, will, uh, you know, will 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 approach her interaction with the board. But I'm optimistic that that we can develop a kind of collaborative relationship where we can work together to do great things for kids. Now, most reform, at least from my perspective, and uh, but I've seen needs community support. Absolutely. So and so, not having that community support because they don't feel they have a voice sometimes, at least through a, a being able to elect their board members as a governing body. Do you think that would be a step to, in, to reform in Newark? I do. No, I do. You know, I, I actually wrote an op-ed um, in the Star-Ledger a few, several months ago basically making this exact same point, which is I believe deeply we, ha we need reform. We can't keep doing things, the same things, and expect a different result. And our schools, and I say this as a Norker who grew up in Newark, my family's been in Newark for about 100 years now, and our schools have underperformed for many decades, and so we have to do some different things. But I absolutely do believe that local control is ultimately – going to be the mechanism through which we'll be able to sustain these reforms. Um, now, there's no question, once you have local control, people may vote for something else. But but for those of us who believe in reform, we have to do the political work of persuading the community and parents that these reforms are the right ones for our kids. And and then if we do that, then we have the opportunity to sustain it. But I think I think without doing that 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 grassroots community work with parents um to create the community support I agree entirely uh that we won't be able to sustain this work and I also agree that takeover makes all of that more difficult because the kind of driving premise of takeover is that the local community is at best secondary 
right? I mean, the whole point of takeover is that local folks, you don't, you shouldn't be making decisions that affect your kids, right? So it's kind of inherently offensive. It's kind of inherently disrespectful. Um, and, um, and, and we're now 16 years in, and there's a kind of indefinite context where it's not clear at all when this will end. So that just kind of, that kind of sends a chronic recurring sort of message to parents and community that, that you're secondary. And it's very difficult to sustain difficult reforms when the very parents of the children who are being affected don't think that their voices are being valued. And they're usually a key to reform moving forward. Um, but let's get on to some of the challenges facing Newark, because it's like many urban districts you have. What are the main challenges that you feel that your school district is facing? Well, for me, you know, we I, the, the the primary challenge for me is is that you know our our educational outcomes just are nowhere near where they need to be. You know, we've had some progress over the last couple of years. It's very important to keep track of that. You know, our HESPA numbers have gone up uh, in each of the last two years, so it's, it's very important uh, to, to to be mindful of that. And some of our comprehensive high schools um, have had some significant improvements. You know, Westside uh, made met AYP last year. Weekweg made AYP. Um, Central High School has some tremendous improvements, you know, over 20, 20 and 30 points in, 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 in uh, language arts and in mathematics. So th- th- we need to kind of credit that. Um, but then we still have a lot of work to do because ultimately our graduation rate, you know, is in the, is, is, is barely above 50%. So for me, the number one challenge we have is we have to figure out a way to get to the point where we're getting as close as possible to 100% of our kids graduating from high school and 100% of our kids um, on the path to college and post-secondary uh, training and uh, and development. And for me, that comes down to making sure we have uh, the resources, of course, that are that that are that are necessary, uh, and and that includes not only money, which we spend a lot of time talking about in the state, but also very effective teachers and effective school leaders. Um, and I think ultimately those are the most important resource. That if we can have great teachers in every classroom, or at least effective teachers in every classroom, and effective school leaders, I believe our results, and we empower them uh, to be the educators, uh, the great educators that they are. Um, I think we'll see significant transformations, uh, but that means we have to really ha- examine the regulatory and collective bargaining and labor framework, which all too often I think dishonors our educators, uh, treats them as kind of bureaucrats rather than the amazing professionals that they are. And so I think we have to examine some of those policies because I think they undermine teaching and learning and to that extent hurt kids. Um, well, you, you did mention in, in the education reform movement there are Many proposals out there from Republicans and Democrats to change the way we have tenure uh, or it's awarded to staff members to make it not three years but four years and maybe tie the evaluation to student performance. Do you think the Newark board or at least yourself, you might not be able to speak for the entire board, favor some of those uh, movements? Yeah, I don't want to speak for the board because – uh, because you know we'd obviously have to work through the formal channel for that, but individually, I think right. absolutely, I think absolutely, we need to reform the tenure rules. Um, I think, uh, I think we need to make sure we're protecting our personnel from arbitrary or unfair uh, employment action, and, and we have a whole range of laws that do that. You know, we have a whole body of employment laws, we have whistleblower laws, we have the due process protections of the state constitution that protect public employees, um, we have age discrimination employment laws. Uh, we have a whole battery of laws, and I think we need to make the tenure rules more flexible um, so that um, we can make sure that we're having great educators in front of our children at all times. And the notion that after after three short years, there will be a kind of lifetime guarantee, regardless of performance, 
um, I don't think is in the best interest of kids, and I honestly don't think it's in the best interest of teachers or principals because we also need to remember that principals get tenure as well uh, after two years within the district. And I, I don't think that's in the best interest of kids or is in the best interest of principals because it ultimately, uh, it, 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 it kind of, it, it, I think it demeans the professionalism, you know, of the field. Mm-hmm. And and our principals, great principals and great teachers, I think, are the most important people in the country. Um, they have an unbelievably difficult job. It's unbelievably complex. They need to be paid appropriately. I think they're underpaid right now. Um, and I think part of the reason they're underpaid is because we the, the law and these rules approach these positions kind of like civil service bureaucratic positions rather than the white collar professional positions that it that that they are. Um, so, so I definitely think we need to professionalize the way in which we approach um, school leadership and teaching, and treat it like we treat other professions, where you get uh, professional pay and you get professional professional development, professional recognition, but there's also professional accountability, um, rather than this kind of rule-based accountability. Now, uh, for the, our people who are listening, uh, either live or later on, uh, Newark is not the teachers are not member of NJEA, they're a member of AFT. Right. Uh, how has the relationship been with the union in terms of the reputation is that they're a little bit, as a union, a little bit more accommodating and trying to work with some of the reform efforts? Well, you know, we will see. I hope that I hope that turns out to be true. You know, we will see. You know, the, um, you know, the district, the state ultimately is in negotiations now. You know, our contract with the teachers union and the administrators union expired uh, so those are both open so those are in the process of being negotiated and i'm optimistic that uh, that what you say is true um that because i do believe most principals and i do believe most teachers are um, are great professionals deeply committed to kids and i do think both our, our principals and teachers should be paid better i think they're underpaid uh, I mean, again, good school leadership, good teaching is very complicated, very difficult, um, and should be valued at that level. Uh, but we have to get to have the flexibility uh, to be able to remove those at the bottom who may not be able, who, 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 who do, to the extent they don't have a record of really moving our kids and preparing them for their future. Uh, and uh, before we, when you answered uh, about the resources, you, you said money wasn't the answer, but. Uh, you do need some resources. And the New Jersey Supreme Court recently, recently ruled that the cuts made to education funding needed to be reinstated in cities like Newark. Um, what was your reaction to that ruling? Well, I thought it was good. I mean, I think I think resources are not sufficient, but they're absolutely necessary. And the Newark district actually joined that lawsuit, um, frankly, at the board's behest and frankly at my behest. I mean, I pushed the district very hard to join the suit because the law was very clear under the school funding, um, uh, the SFRA, um, and the Supreme Court's prior ruling. The, the court was very clear that the funding formula needed to be funded for three years, and and uh, the state quickly defunded it before those three years were up. And we felt the law should be enforced. And um, the cuts that we we experienced last year left um, a deficit of almost eighty million dollars. Um, and that cut services and, and staff that we needed to provide uh, the transformations that our that our kids deserve. So, um, so we absolutely felt we needed the money. And again, part of the reason that we need money is precisely because we have so many rules. If we had more flexibility around these rules, we'd be in a position of being much more efficient with our resources. But when 80% of your money is spent on personnel, and personnel overwhelmingly are guaranteed positions and salaries regardless of performance. 
you end up spending money on things that you might prefer not to. So if we have more flexibility, um, you know, to pay differentially, to be able to pay the better performing people better. If we have more flexibility to pay people differentially to the extent they're in hard-to-fill positions um, and to the extent we have the ability to remove people who aren't getting the job done, then that would free up resources where we may not need uh, as much money from the state. But as long as we have these rules and these fixed increments and, and these rigid rules on, on retention um, and, and compensation, uh, then if the state won't give us help on that, then we need the resources to make sure we're not cutting vital social workers, teachers, um, department chairs, and other resources that our kids need. Uh, we're talking, I'm Ray Penny. We're talking with Shafar Jeffries, member of the Newark Advisory Board. Um, I have heard in, uh, from members in the sub, uh, uh, community members in the suburbs, why does it cost more to educate a, a kid in poverty? Uh, I've even had some of the elected officials, assemblymen, say that it costs the same to uh, educate uh, someone impoverished as it does anyone, a middle class student. Why do you, what's your explanation to those people that it's tougher to educate someone from uh, poverty? Well, I, I would think I, I think it's 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 the simple fact that our children living in in Newark and in places comparable to Newark face a whole host of challenges that, frankly, are you are, you just don't have in the suburbs. And I, I, I'm surprised that people that, that there's even an argument there. We have kids coming to school dealing with post traumatic stress after seeing loved ones having their head blown off, um, or who who may have two parents with one age, or may have a crack addicted, you know, parent. Um, you know, um, so so therefore we need social workers and guidance counselors and um, and and other sorts of counseling services that you may not need in the district. We have kids who start kindergarten on a a pre K two or pre K three level rather than the kindergarten level. So then you need to put in more work and have more supportive services to overcome that because oftentimes our kids don't have the the, the support academically at home uh, that that oftentimes two parent households or suburb suburban households may have so um you know poverty exacts a cost i mean it costs there's an educational deficit that's precipitated when kids grow up in single uh households with one income or or an income that depends upon uh the social services uh system and parents who may have dropped out of the school system in prior years i mean there's just no question if you have like i do my wife and i are both have college degrees and we're raising two kids, um, our kids have a whole different sort of pre- preparation and development than kids who are coming from a different sort of context. And I would think that would be very obvious. And, and I would say in a minute, I, would, I think most of us in Newark, um, if our kids could grow up in two-parent suburban households, we'd, we'd give up the money in a minute because we wouldn't need it. Right, so we'd rather we'd rather have kids who come to kindergarten on grade level who don't have to deal with shootings in the neighborhood, don't have to deal with the gang problem, uh, you know, in their neighborhood, don't have to deal with the educational deficits of poverty. We we would trade in a minute that for the suburban context and less money. Um, uh, moving forward, some of the headlines that Newark has grabbed over the years, this past year. Uh, the donation from the Facebook founder Mark Zuckerberg uh, that was announced on Oprah, and we don't have to go through, you know, the governor and uh, the mayor's appearance. But how is that proceeding now? Well, you know, from what I understand, because I'm, you know, the, the they're doing that kind of on their own. So I don't, from what I understand, I understand what I know is from what I've read in the paper. You know, apparently they've hired a new executive director uh, to run the, I believe they call it the Foundation for North Future 
which which will kind of take the lead in terms of the the, the disbursement of the Zuckerberg monies. Um, uh, presumably, they're going to have a board for that organization. Maybe they have one already um, that the ED will collaborate with in terms of deciding how the monies would be, would, would be spent. I, I would assume that the the fund, that the foundation will then collaborate with the new superintendent in the district uh, to make sure that there's synergy and integration uh, as it relates to the money that the foundation will spend and uh, and the district's approach. But um, you know, there there hasn't been. To my knowledge, at least, you know, collaboration with the board in terms of the priorities of the foundation. Um, I don't know if there's been collaboration with community folks. Um, the mayor and his people, they'd, they'd be a better source to talk about in terms of, um, you know, how they're structuring the foundation and, and, uh, and what their vision is. I'm optimistic that, uh, that they'll, they'll collaborate with the district, hopefully collaborate with the board to come up with, um, priorities for the money that, that'll, that'll really drive student achievement. That is one other difference between a regular board and an advisory board because in other districts, I think they'd be forced to collaborate. Um, well, I think you're right. No, you're right. I mean, you're right. I mean, ultimately, if the board had the power that legally other boards have that aren't on a takeover, ultimately, you better come through the board or things can't happen. Um, but we're in a context where folks can can, uh, can move with or without the board. And um so um so we have to literally organize and leverage the, 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 the democratic voice of the people we represent uh to, to make sure we have a seat at the table. Um New, I think Newark's a little unique and your position might be a little unique. Uh, traditionally local boards of education and charter schools have had a not not a confrontational but uh not a collaborative uh uh relationship. Uh, Newark does not seem to be anti-charter schools, at least the, the local advisory board or most of them, uh, or historically has not. What's the role of charter schools in public education uh, from your perspective? Personally? Yeah, from where I stand, I think I think charter charter schools have a very healthy role, a very constructive role. Um, you know, I think I think first, you know, the charters. Um, uh, oftentimes, public charters have uh, flexibility to do things that oftentimes we wish we could do in a district, but we uh, are unable to do either because of state rules and regulations or the collective bargaining agreement. So, for example, most most of particularly the more effective public charter schools in Newark have an, an extended day. So they'll they'll go you know maybe from 7:30 to 5, and they'll have an extended year, and um, and you know so at the end of that year, oftentimes kids may have 15, 20 percent more. Or, or, or some over 50% more time on task, um, and that can't but help student achievement. I mean, if kids are working harder, I think it's just a basic premise that you know the more work you put in, the the, the more you get out. Um, we would love to extend our day, but it's very difficult to get that to the union in a way that's affordable. Um, I think we ended up paying about 5.9% a couple years ago just to extend the day from 180 to 185 days, and many of the better performing public charters are going over 200. So I think to that extent, the public charters can help put pressure on the traditional district to do things that will help kids that maybe otherwise we can't get done uh, because of the competitive pressure. Because what may happen over time is if parents keep taking kids out of the district system and, and sending them to public charters because they're doing things that we don't have the political or regulatory capacity to do, that then hopefully can give us uh, a bit more capital to negotiate with the union and and, um, and others to get the flexibility we need to do things that are going to help kids. I um, also think, secondly, I think public charters are constructive because I think it's very important for uh, for p- parents to have choice. 
And um, and this is kind of a, uh, related to the question earlier about poverty. Poor people tend not to have options, and I actually think that's very unhealthy. And and I think oftentimes when you don't have options, you tend to get the you tend to get worse services. I think it's very important for folks to be able to have competitive choice available to them, and, and preferably of high quality options. I mean, most folks live in the su- suburbs, move to the suburbs usually because they wanted the school system, so they kind of chose to move for that reason. And in Newark, we, we we cannot be in a context where the only option a parent has is a neighborhood school, regardless of the kind of service that that school may provide to that parent. So so I want the Newark Public Schools to be in a competitive environment, Then I want us to figure out a way to out, out-compete the competition, right? So I'm not afraid of the public charters. I think they're healthy. I think they're good. Some aren't aren't doing good things for kids, and the state needs to take a hard look at those, um, and some perhaps need to be closed, but there are many that are high-performing, and we as a district need to get to the point where we can provide a, an educational product where we can persuade the overwhelming majority of parents to choose our schools because we're doing better things for kids than the competition. That's interesting. I haven't heard that, that you want to use the competition to help you in the negotiation process with your staff in the sense that if if you lose enrollment, I guess eventually jobs would follow uh, in that area so that they might feel the pressure, okay, maybe we do have to give more time uh, to this job, you know, lengthen the day or something to that effect. So that's your point? Well, yeah, I think that's one of many. I mean, I think charters also provide ex- experimentation. You know, they can, you know, they can, um, they they can show the way in different kinds of areas that that the district may not have the flexibility to to touch. But I think that's part of it. I mean, I think I think that's an outgrowth of competition. I think the I think this. I think our schools have have underperformed for a long time because we have too many rules and and policies that are in the best interest of adults, not the best interest of kids. And in a closed system, it's much easier for elected officials who who may have been on the board in the past when we had local control and the unions to negotiate practices that don't necessarily affect the best interest of kids because, unfortunately, we don't have a babies or, or a children's union so that when these negotiators are at the table, we have somebody who's there to just fight for kids at the table. And what I'm all I'm simply saying is when the parents can choose something else, so when the parents can say, what you're doing here isn't helping my children, I'm choosing something else, the competitive pressure of that and the fact that we lost $28 million to public charters last year, and $32 million, and lost probably isn't the right word. Parents choose to send their kids to public charters, so money instead of going to the district files, the kids to the public charter. But $28 million uh, went to public charters last year, about 32 we expect this year. Um, that puts pressure because those that can mean layoffs. And I think that's good because I actually have faith in parents that if they're choosing something else, that means we're not getting the job done. So I don't want to kind of lock parents in and say, nope, you're not going anywhere regardless of what we're providing to you. I want us to say, well, there's competition, and we better get it together, and we better figure out a way to get to, to raise the bar, to work harder, to have higher expectations for our staff so that we can provide a kind of product that will persuade parents to keep their kids in the district. So that's the kind of competitive opportunities and pressure that I think that choice, um, you know, generates. And do you uh, – does the Newark School District communicate with the charter schools and to get – because you talked about maybe they experiment and you can maybe get some good ideas from them. Is there a way that you can communicate with them? You know, I know that Dr. Janey, he had, you know, kind of regular roundtable conversations with the public charter school community um, to, to share best practices. I do know some – 
uh, public charters and principals, you know, will share best practices. Because at the end of the day, it's all just about teaching and learning, right? And I don't think, mm-hmm. I, I personally, I don't care, I can care. At the end of the day, I want, in my role as a board member for the public schools, I want us to be great. You know, I want every school in our purview to be great. Uh, but I think individual parents don't really care about the governance framework of a school, whether it's a charter school, whether it's a district school, whether it's a magnet school, whether it's a contract and district school. They just want a school that's great for kids, where great teaching and learning is happening. And so to that degree, there should be a lot more collaboration than I think there is, because teaching is teaching. And so if, if a teacher in a public charter school is doing great things, I would hope we could learn from that in the district school system. And we have tons of teachers in our system, in the district system, doing great things, and it would be smart for the public charters to learn from that, too. Um, Newark has just hired a new superintendent, uh, and how did that? I think you were on the one of the committees. Uh, how did that process work? And uh, are you optimistic about her uh, leadership? I am optimistic. I'm, I'm, you know, I've, um, you know, the I was very impressed with Miss Anderson, you know, during the interview process, and and um, you know, sp- people speak very highly of her. Uh, she has strong, uh, strong background and experience. Um, you know, in New York, uh, you know, essentially being serving as a superintendent for the alternative education programs there, and she's had, she was the she was um, recognized as the best teacher in the country. You know, so she was a teacher and received a National Teacher of the Year award. Um, she had a great experience identifying education and teacher talent, uh, running Teacher for America in New York, and then I know she had similar experiences in terms of identifying talented school leaders as uh, as the head of new uh, new leaders for new schools. So, so I'm very optimistic about her and I think that the, the board the entire city we need to figure out a way to support her um, I think the process in selecting her I think I think we had a pretty s- solid process on um, that that um, uh, that began to uh, I think we had a, a process uh, early on that was solid you know when the board the board was a part of the interviewing process the board uh, identified candidates, put them in the mix, uh, who were interviewed and t- taken seriously. Um, I think toward the end there, the process um, uh, wasn't ideal. Uh, you know, maybe toward the last you know few weeks. But at the end of the day, uh, we have a superintendent candidate who's very talented, who's highly qualified, who has a great background of experiences, um, who. Uh, and, and at this point, uh, we, we need to be able to support her in every way we can and do everything we can so that she is su- successful because her success means our kids are being are successful. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to go back because uh, you triggered something, I, and I forgot to ask it before when you were talking about students in, in poverty. And uh, How important is the pre-K to your education in uh, Newark? Is it because you were saying that they don't, they oftentimes don't come to kindergarten uh, prepared. So is pre-K like almost vital? Pre-K is fundamental. I mean, I think that's a, just an absolute non-negotiable imperative. And because we see, you know, we have data that shows that the kids who do come through the Abbott preschool programs are much better prepared, uh, oftentimes are on grade level, because we still have many kids who still do not know about the fact, families who don't know about the fact that there's free pre-K and don't send their kids to pre-K. That's absolutely fundamental. Um, that cannot, uh, that to me, that's a non-negotiable. Uh, because if we're gonna if we're gonna not have pre-K and we're gonna have kids starting kindergarten as a rule, you know, two and three uh, years behind grade level already, 
um, then then we're setting our, ourselves up for failure, and we're frankly setting ourselves up to spend more money later on to deal with the consequences of kids starting kindergarten already so far behind grade level. And that's a great example about the consequences of poverty. Um, in the suburban districts, you know, I'll hear folks say, "Well, we don't get the money for, um, you know, for the for the pre-K," it's because folks tend to have the resources to be able to, you know, provide pre-K. And kids tend to, for that reason, tend to be on grade level. Um, that's fundamental. You know, we can't afford to lose that. Um, and, um, you know, that, that's something I'd, I'd uh, fight with everything I have to protect. Uh, there's been a lot of um, talk about education foundations and their role uh, in Newark and in, in, actually in all of education. Uh, do education foundations, I know they seem to have been playing a role with the, the commissioners, some advisors in Newark. Um, from your knowledge, what's the role of the education foundations in Newark? Well, I think the role is very. The role should be and ought to be, you know, very constructive role, very helpful role. Um, you know, uh, because uh, you know we spoke earlier about money being not money being insufficient, but but nonetheless necessary. So, um, so I think to the extent uh, philanthropists um, can supplement, you know, what. Uh, district received from the state and from the federal government and from local taxpayers. I think that's a wonderful thing, and I think we should really credit and applaud, you know, philanthropists for for supporting, you know, public education. I think it's a great thing. Um, you know, that said, I do I think it's very important to have transparency. I mean, I think it's very important for parents and community to understand where money is coming from, if that money is going to be used, uh, you know, on their children uh, to provide services to their children. Excuse me. Um, I think there should be alignment. Between uh, you know the the, the uh, you know the, between the, the vision that the philanthropists may have for what money should be used for, and obviously the district's vision as articulated by the superintendent. Um, but as long as we have that kind of transparency and alignment, I think it's a wonderful thing. I think it's a great thing, and I think I think we we want to be we want to be mindful to make sure we don't send signals that suggest we don't want people to invest uh, in our kids because we absolutely need the support. Um, but transparency and alignment, I think, are fundamental. Um, as I'm listening to you, uh, Shavar, and we're speaking with uh, Shavar Jeffries from the Newark Advisory Board, um, I hear kind of a constant theme that comes from you. Uh, you support a lot of education reform efforts in terms of the charter schools, uh, uh, the way we evaluate and compensate teachers, but you're also big on the process. Absolutely, and including the community in the process is that in my because you seem to come back to that that sometimes the education reform movement seems to fall uh, i want to say uh doesn't emphasize the community involvement or the the process as much as maybe you would like them to do is that a am I hearing you correctly on that or well, you know, I absolutely think I absolutely think the reforms are fundamental, and I absolutely think that we have to lead with parental and and community engagement. And there's a lot of ways to do that, right? I mean, it's not we, you know, there can't be a referendum on everything, right? I mean, people elect representatives, which is why elections are huge. So during campaigns, there needs to be, it seems to me, upfront during the campaign, an articulation of a reform vision, and a clear signal that if the voters through the election endorse a candidate who supports reform, then they're going to go then try to implement reform when they're elected, right, so that you kind of already began to cultivate a context where people are supportive uh, of reform, um, you know. Um, so, no, I think it's fundamental. I mean, I think 
we have the substance of what we do and then the the extent to which we democratically pursue what we do are fundamental not only for education but any issue I mean, you named the issue. I mean, if it was health care, I mean, you may you obviously got to think through what should a health care reform look like, what should the bill look like, but then you got to think through how do we persuade the commun- the people that these are the right things, uh, because this is a democracy. So, so I don't think what I'm saying I would I don't think is is aberrational uh, at, at all in any regard. I just think it's the nature of how things work in a democracy. You have to be able to persuade people, a critical mass of people, that the changes. Uh, that that you seek are the right ones and are going to be beneficial, um, and you got to first make sure you have the right changes, and that's where I talk about the nature of the reforms uh, in the context of our, our district that's underperformed for a long time. But then you got to be very mindful and and smart about about engaging. Uh, uh, constituencies in such a way that you can create uh, the context of support you need to to really drive the change. And then for me, fundamentally, I know that in order for us to really move our school system significantly, we need a good 10 years of stability around vision and leadership. You know, we're not going to get there every three, four years where we're changing leaders and we're changing vision. And if if we're going to do that in the context of public institutions, you have to have the people with you. Mm Mm-hmm. There's no way other way you could do it. There's no other way, given the number of elections you have, whether it's school board, whether it's the mayor, uh, whether it's uh, state representatives, the governor, you know, him or herself, given that we're a takeover district, which could then mean new commissioners. You can't have all of that, all of those actors kind of in, engaging the public schools and think you're, we're going to sustain any meaningful reform if it's not rooted in the people, because the people are the only kind of constituency uh, in the list of things I just described that will be here, that were here before and will be here after. So if they believe it and they think these these things are right, you can leverage that as the means through which we can make sure we have officials in place who will sustain the work. So uh, when you were talking about the local control in the, or the state one school district, you do not only have to deal with the kids you have in the, in the board and maybe even the superintendent, but a change of commissioners or governor affects the policies of the local policies, education policy of the city. Absolutely. And that creates uh, change rather quickly. Well, I mean, that's basically what happened with Dr. Janey. You know, uh, you know, Dr. Janey was uh, was uh, was was hired, you know, under the Corzine administration, um, and uh, you know, two years later, uh, we, you get a new governor, and the governor wants somebody else. And so, which which means that uh, now much of his vision was a reform vision. So I think much of his vision will remain in place. Um, but but then obviously when you get new leadership, uh, it's not be like the superintendent's spot. All of the senior leadership is changing. So our 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 chief academic officer, our deputy chief a- a- academic officer, all our regional superintendents have turned over. Um, many principals are starting to turn over as people retire. So with all of that disruption. Um, you know um that that means there there's going to be cost of that and we can't be in a place where every 3 4 years you know we're having these changes because there's going to be another governor's election in a couple of years and and if we get another governor is are we going to start from scratch again so we'll be kind of on a perpetual treadmill so so I believe deeply we got to have about at least 10 years of stability around the vision what we should be doing the leadership who's doing it and only way I see you can get that is if we've 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 persuaded a critical mass of Norkers to fight for that, so that whoever's in office understands if you don't if you're not committed to certain fundamental principles of reform, you're not going to be in office very long. Uh, nationally, one of the uh, ideas in the education reform movement is 
moving away from elected boards to a board appointed maybe by the mayor. Um, which do you think would work better in Newark? Uh, to have a the board elected by the constituents or by the selected by the mayor, and I you don't know, mean to be any asper. Uh, this is not a uh, towards uh, Mayor Booker or anything like that. Just right. as a philosophy. No, I agree. Because I, I think we got to really look at the model, and which is very difficult conversations um, in communities because people tend to think about who's the mayor now or who's on the school board now. And I and, and when I think about this question, I think what model is best aligned to produce the outcomes for kids that we want. The way the school board elections are set up now, I wouldn't support this model, the way they're set up, because we have every April an election where where you could have potentially three new school boards, school board members elected, and then next April there's another election. There's another election in next April. We can't be in a context where the superintendent is trying to run a district, and every spring there could be she, she or he can have new bosses who may have a new vision and a, a new way of doing things. That's just not in the best interest of kids as far as I'm concerned. So I think the current school board model for at least for a place like Newark, other communities maybe they can get away with that. But at least for Newark, I don't think I think the current school board model of elections every April just doesn't make a lot of sense because I think it creates too much instability. And as I just said, I think stability is fundamental. Um, so if these are the options we have, I would prefer uh, the mayoral approach because at least you have four years where you can where you can have some stability, get some things done. Um, I know some people talked about hybrid models where you maybe have. A uh, certain number appointed by a mayor, a certain number appointed by right. a school board. I mean, I'd be, I'd, I'd want to study those because I try to be empirical in what I do. So I'd want to study those models. You know, what do they look like? But for me, I would want a model that will give us an opportunity to have the stability that we need, so that we can actually create the changes that our kids need. So that's kind of the outcome I'd be looking for. And so I would examine any uh, model that would be recommended based on those principles. Um, but I definitely don't think the current school board model structure is that makes the most sense. Um, and um, so if these are the only options I had, I would pick a mayoral model over that. But I am open to other approaches um, if the evidence would show it could create the stability to, to produce the changes our kids deserve. Uh, let's, uh, we're getting towards the end, but let's uh, end on what should be positive. What should uh, the citizens of New Jersey be hopeful about in the city of Newark's education system over the next couple of years? Well, you know, I think, you know, I think first of all, I think the mayor's leadership in, in generating, you know, potentially $200 million that we can invest in our schools um, is tremendous. Um, I mean, again, you know, we've said repeatedly money is not um, a sufficient for the reforms our kids need, but it's necessary, and $200 million can, can go a long way. So he deserves tremendous credit uh, for that. Um, so I think that's a cause for optimism. Yeah, uh, I think let me just uh, stop. I, I should uh, point out uh, Zuckerberg donated $100 million, but there's uh, other hundred, another $100 million right. coming in for the 200 Okay. That's right, right. Yeah, so they're supposed to be they're supposed to find a match. I think I think two hundred million dollars that we can invest in our children is amazing. You know, so the mayor deserves credit for that. So I think that's a cause for optimism. Um I'm I'm very optimistic about our new superintendent. Um I think we need to be able to support her. I think she has a great background in education. Uh, she, again, she was recognized as the National Teacher of the Year. Um, during her superintendency in New York, she produced some results uh, that were very significant uh, with alternative education populations. Um, so we need to do everything we can to support her. We need her to be successful. Um, and so I'm optimistic that as a community we'll come together behind her. So I think that's a great uh, cause for optimism. And ultimately I'm optimistic uh, 
primarily because I have full confidence in the people of Newark, and I simply believe that if we can figure out a way to engage and communicate with our parents around the reforms that will really move this district forward, um, I believe and in, in, in deeply that the people who support those changes will advocate for them. So those of us in position of leadership need to simply do the work of communicating and, and, and talking to the community about how we transform this district. And so m most of my optimism uh, flows from the people. I love the people of Newark. Again, I'm a Newarker, um, and um, I love our people, and I think our people are brilliant or smart or beautiful or talented um, and, are, are, and love our children. And so if we simply – uh, engage them in the right ways with good information about how we transform this district, I'm very optimistic that, that they will then advocate for the changes that our kids deserve. Okay, we're coming to the close of our show. Um, and I hope the listeners get a good feel for what's going on in the city of Newark and the changes that are occurring there. Uh, I'd like to thank Shavar Jeffries for joining me today. Thank you, Shavar. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Okay, our next show is uh, scheduled for next Friday, June 10th, and we will have Carlos Perez from the New Jersey Charter School Association talk about charter schools in New Jersey. Uh, like I said, I'd like to, it's the end of conversation in New Jersey education. I hope that you enjoyed today's conversation. As I always say, our kids' education is too important not to talk about. And in the future, if you have any issues or speakers that you think would be good for me in this format, please contact me via email at r. Pinney, R-P-I-N-N-E-Y at njsba.org. And uh, thank you for listening, and I hope that you tune in next week. Bye now.